For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Shut up and sit down. Hello and welcome back to Fourth Down Focus, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. I am Dan Lundy, host of the podcast and founder of Fourth Down University. We're back and better than ever. Football is finally here. What a start it's been. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all NFL and college football action. With a new website and even more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use promo code NFL100. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports needs. Episode 51 of the podcast welcomes Mark Nudelberg, a former college football coach at Florida State, Cincinnati, University of Florida, Nevada, and Lafayette. Nudelberg left coaching in 2019 to pursue other opportunities. Currently, he is the president of On the Ball Ventures and lives in South Florida with his family. Mark, it is an honor to have you on the show. How are you doing today? No, man, the privilege is all mine, Dan. I, uh, I can't tell you how much I've always appreciated, number one, our friendship when I was a special teams coordinator, and then number two, your professionalism and the way we work together on helping kickers fix techniques and just talk about ideas I uh, always very, very grateful for you and, and, and our relationship. So I'm doing great, man. I'm uh, in South Florida again, living down here, which is where I'm originally from. And it's good to be back. I'm watching games on Saturday and Sunday and not having to go home and grade it and worried about why we got a punt blocked or why we couldn't block the R5 on kickoff return. So it's nice to be uh, just a spectator and being able to enjoy the game from afar. I couldn't agree more. Sometimes it's nice as to not be a coach and watch football because you can actually just follow the ball and see all the, <laughs> yeah, all, you really get all, to appreciate it. Yeah. All the fun stuff. And, and you know, instead of looking at something that is irrelevant to, to most people, but it's yep. every, everything counts, but no, I, I met you years ago and I just want to thank you as well. I, I, I get to meet a lot of awesome coaches, especially the special teams coordinators and analysts. And I'll say that of the hundreds I've met in the past couple of years, you are one of the few that really likes to dig into the details of the kicker, punter, and long snapper, and not just be an expert in scheme. And I, I really am grateful for people like you because I think that everyone, everyone that coaches special teams, even if they weren't a specialist, they could definitely be an impactful coach because we, if we draw parallels to other position groups, there's so many ways to teach kicking, punting, and snapping. Um, in other ways it's not you don't have to be a former kicker punter and snapper so i think you realize that and i and i think you were proactive 
and you met guys like me who are passionate about it. And I'm just thankful for your time. And that's where I want to go first is I met you in Gainesville, Florida. Uh, you were kind enough to bring me in to your office. And we spent a day talking ball um, when you were in your off season with the Florida Gators. Yep. Could you, could you share a little more about your history in, in coaching special teams? Sure. Yeah. I, um, so, so I, my, my track through coaching was a little bit different than most people that are in coaching. I didn't play at the college level. When I went away to school at Florida state, which is where I started, I started as an equipment manager and I was the quarterback's equipment manager. And two years into my career there, Jimbo Fisher got brought in as the offensive coordinator. And to say he was a drastic change to that program would be an understatement but I loved it. You know, when I got to Florida state, I was a little surprised at what was happening and what the culture was. And, you know, the things that were happening on the practice I was like, wow, we're a major, major college program, but we don't seem to be being run like one, you know, and this was towards the end of coach Bowden's career. And when Jimbo got brought in, he got, he brought in an entirely different uh, feel and vibe. And he was, starkly different to everything else that we had seen. And I bought, I, I jumped in, you know, I, I, I jumped on board with his train and, and totally bought into what he was and what he wanted to do with the program. And that led me to wanting to do more. Right. So I started spending more time in the coaches offices. I started trying to create more value for myself and being able to do more things and not just be coach Fisher's equipment manager. And that led to me becoming a student assistant and then when he became the head coach, I graduated and he hired me as a quality control coach back when those things were like new to the game. Like now quality control coaches are like, you know, former head coaches and they're making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Like when I got hired at Florida State, I was making minimum wage. They were paying me $7.25 an hour for 40 hours a week. And that's all I was going to get as a quality control coach. But to me, I had done the job for free while I was in school. So I was like, I'm getting paid to do this. Like, this is the greatest thing ever, you know? Like, and that's how I got started. I got introduced to Eddie Grand, my, uh, my mentor and one of my good friends in the, in the business. And I worked for Eddie as his special teams assistant for three years. We were very privileged to have some really quality specialists while I was there. You know, obviously we had Graham Gano, we had Dustin Hopkins, we recruited Roberto Aguayo and had him there. And uh, that set the precedent for me because then that led to more opportunities. You know, I followed Eddie to Cincinnati where I became the special teams coordinator. And, you know, that the, the business of coaching is exactly that, a business. And um, it's a tough business. And I had I'd been hired and fired for all different kinds of reasons. But it was really a blessing to me because I got opportunities to go work at the University of Florida with Jim McElwain and pull a lot of new special team stuff for myself there. I got the opportunity to recruit Eddie Pinero. And then from there, got the opportunity to go work for Brian Polian at the University of Nevada, where I learned a ton about special teams from him. So my special teams philosophy and my coaching ability really just kept evolving because I kept going to all of these different places and I had the opportunity to work with people, learn from people. You know, I want to give a shout out to Lester Erb, who was the special teams coordinator at Nevada before I got there. He was a great mentor to me and helped me develop more schematics and more, you know, drills and philosophies. And it was really a fantastic experience. 
It really is. Your story is incredible. That's why I wanted to bring you on today. And I want, I want to talk about um, just a little bit about what you addressed already, but let's go specifically first into the coaches. You mentioned some wonderful specialists and we're going to get there. You, you coached several Sunday guys um, and you saw them uh, transitioning from high school to college. You identified many of these kids and enticed them to come to where you were. And I think you were rewarded with this because of all of the extra time you put in with people like me, again, who are passionate about the little intricacies of what makes Johnny Townsend different than X, Y, or Z that year, you know. Um, but let's just go to the amazing coaches. I mean, we started with Bobby Bowden. You got yeah. you got Jimbo. Then you go to Jim McElwain. Then yep. you go to Brian Polian. I mean, that's some NFL uh, lineage right there. So what are your... What are the qualities do you think that these men share that were essential to them getting where they were or still are? Um, it's everybody's different. You know, I, th I think that's, I think most people are looking for some one fundamental that made all of those head coaches fantastic. And they were all really different head coaches, right? Like Jimbo was, was a, was a change agent for Florida state. He came in and he demanded that we meet the standard every day and went all out to get that. And obviously it worked for him there. Right. I mean, it didn't sustain, I think in my mind and the things I've learned about leadership is you can come in as a drill sergeant to create the change, but once you start having success, I think the tone has to change because if you don't change, they're eventually going to start to tune you out and the message gets lost in the antics and it doesn't end up working out in the long run. You know, I think if you look at Nick Saban, there's no way you, you can visibly see he doesn't act the same on the sidelines. You don't see those outbursts as much anymore because the program has evolved. So, you know, Coach Bowden did an unbelievable job of recruiting and, and, and preaching faith and family and being focused on developing the men and not necessarily the athlete. Right. He really was focused on what was best for the kids um, I worked with some coaches that really didn't care any, with anything other than the product, right? We won't, as long as we were winning and as long as, as guys were producing on the field, it was good. And we would do anything we could in order to give them the support to get to Saturday. Um, but if I could like talk to a head coach now, you know, I think the fun, the foundations of your, of your, your program have to be rooted in the team and the players. It can't ever be about you as a coach. Can't ever be like, I, I still to this day, like if I ever would have become a head coach, I would have never led my team onto the field, right? I always would have picked four players, four new players every week to lead the team onto the field because it's their experience. It's not mine, right? It's, it's my job to develop those kids, to develop the structure, to develop the system that produces really quality student athletes, let them live it, let them have it. Hopefully you're going to be there for 20 years. Give those moments to the kids who put in the work and deserve that. That's an excellent point. I want to draw a parallel to my kicking industry. I'm not going to name names, but I think it's, it's presumptuous to throw your last name in front of your, your company. Yep. I don't know. I mean, Henry Ford. Okay. I mean, it worked, but 
it's a different business, right? Like to me, and this is, I, so this is how my life changed, right? I, I took everything I learned in football about leadership and culture building, and then took what I learned about the business world when I first got into it and got out of coaching and built on the ball, which is now an organization that partners with other organizations to develop their leaders as coaches, because I, and I can speak about my experience as a football coach. I was disappointed by the amount of poor coaches I was around that had been in the industry for 40, 50 years that had been doing it for so long and were bad, bad at developing their people. All They didn't care about how, what that kid did in the off season on the, like all they cared about was that they were the tight ends coach at this school and they had that persona and it was all about them. And so teaching leaders how to shift the focus from it being about you and it being about the people that you are responsible for. And then the success that comes from that. I was very fortunate to be a successful, you know, special teams coordinator because I always made it about them. I always made it about them performing on Saturday. I told them that they could be the most dominant third of the game. I told them that they could stand on the 50-yard line and tell the other team what our kickoff return was, and they wouldn't be able to stop us, right? It wasn't about me. It was about what they would do and the success that they could have from it. That's what I like about coaching is, and especially the longer I've done it, the more I get to, to meet more people, you know, and as my network expands, I've gotten to climb up the levels and, and be in the same room as some people who coach primetime football, you know, and what I've noticed is like you said, some guys got there. Um, I guess they just got by, you know, and other guys, yeah. other guys got there because they fought tooth and nail to get in that room. And it was evident, right. And the guys that have fought their way and the guys that may have been handed a couple passes and, and gone the complacent route. And just let time kind of get me there. And I think that's cool about football. It is, we always say in the show, it's a microcosm of life. And there's so many things to pull from this game because it's so special. And it takes effective leaders to, to, to win. It really does. In the end, if you don't have effective leadership, you said sustainable earlier, it is impossible to sustain in this sport without effective leadership. But what I like you said also is it's also very important to note the ineffective leaders to learn what not to do, it's, what not to do. It's equally as important as what to do, right? It's maybe more important. Sure. Because you can start to build your own philosophy on what to do by figuring out what not to do. Right. And so instead of mimicking exactly what you think makes somebody else successful in order to make yourself successful, like look at, look at coach Saban, look at how many head coaches he's produced around college football but look at how many of them were unsuccessful or unsustainable, sure. right? How many of them tried to replicate it being exactly who Nick Saban was and implementing his structure instead of saying, okay, here's the structure. Let me see how to make this my structure. Let me see how my personality and who I am as a leader can fit into this process and this system in order to make it mine. Most people just turned around and tried to do it exactly the way they saw it done because they knew it worked for Nick. But the problem that most people don't realize is that the thing that works for somebody else doesn't work for you unless you make it your own. Yeah, I think, 
you have to treat things as personal problems, right? Back to life, drawing parallels to football is a team, even if they're in the same conference, it's an entirely different situation. So if you, if you switch your role from, you know, I'm, I'm going to go from OC to this school to OC of that school, very comparable teams, same, same conference, everything. If you attack it the exact same way, you're going to be less effective. I, I firmly agree. I, I agree wholeheartedly. What you're saying is like, but let me tell you, like, let, let me tell you the difference between being the special teams coordinator at Florida state or the university of Florida and being the special teams coordinator at the university of Nevada is that, I could be very, very simple and do the same shit day in. Sorry for the cussing. Sorry. I'm not allowed to cuss on here, but I could do it day in and day out because we had unbelievable athletes, <laughs> right? Yeah. I could teach very basic schemes and, and, and not have to try to scheme my way into making plans or making plays because I had athletes that I knew would make plays and I had to give them the framework to work within to allow their athleticism to shine. I wasn't working with the same athletes at the University of Nevada. I had to be very, very specific on what I want, wanted people to do when I wanted them to do it and had to create a ton of wrinkles in order to get people in position sure. to make plays. And so having those completely different you know, environments that I was coaching in, which forced me to change the way I was coaching Coordinators who believe that they have their system and their system will work anywhere are the coordinators who are unsuccessful a lot of times because they don't know how to adapt to the talent that they have. You said it. You just took the word out of my mouth. I was going to ask you if we could if we could pull one word, I would say adaptable would would, would be a must. Correct. A thousand percent. Like it, it, and, and that's to the game. Like how many times do you walk out? Right. And. You go kick off the first play and they run a return that you've never seen them run before. Okay, let me get the information from the booth. Let me draw it up on the board. And now let me go show everybody and say, hey, guys, here was our scheme going in. Here's what we're getting back. Here's the adjustment that we're going to make in order to make sure that we can stay sound against this. Because I think that's the other thing is, especially on special teams, guys get caught up in being flashy or doing the thing that's out of the norm. That's unsound. That was the first thing I looked for when I was game planning against people. Or are these people fundamentally sound play in and play out? Because if they're not, I'm going to find where they're not. And I'm going to exploit that as soon as I get the opportunity. Absolutely. Um, I, I learned that from Urban Meyer years ago. He's like, the first thing I look for on a kick return is like the left tackle, you know, the guy that's usually furthest away from the play because most teams are left hash deep left, or they were that year. Yep. And he's like, so basically what I'm saying is that left tackle, whatever you want to call him, uh, is the furthest from the play, at least initially. And if, yep. if he loafs, I can, I, they're not disciplined. I mean, he would, gener yep. he would generalize, but he'd say, I, but if he didn't loaf and he sprinted 30 yards and got in position and, and was a helpful attribute to that return unit, I knew I was in for a dog fight. Yeah. Right. And I love that story because it's like, how many people think like you or think like Earl Meyer? Not many, but that's why they're winning more. That's what effort was non-negotiable on special teams. Right. That, that to me was, I didn't care if I had to play with 11 walk-ons on the field. If those 11 walk-ons were going to give me everything they had and would play with the technique that I was coaching 
I would play them over the first string corner who didn't want to be on the field and wasn't listening to my techniques because he was going to get me beat anyway. Yeah. He was either going to loaf and not and not make the backside block or he was going to get there and not use the technique and get ran by or get ran over. It's going to cost me anyway. I'd rather coach the guys who wanted to be on the field and would listen to what we were trying to do and believed in what we were trying to do. And that's what made us successful, regardless of, of, of organization, of level, whether it be power five, group of five, FCS. I wasn't flashy. I went, I ran what we called rocket four for 10 years. And I went into that pretty much every game, unless they did something that was like, took it away. I said, this is what we're running and we're so good at it that I don't care if you're going to cross your guys, if you're going to kick it across the field, we know every adjustment to rocket four. So it doesn't matter what you do. We're going to run this ball down your throat. Amen. Hey, don't change it if it's not broke, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, I, and you're right. I think that people get lost in the woods and look at, uh, let me give you an example. Um, like the LA Rams offense, you know, it's cute. It's flashy. It's fancy. There's a lot going on. And a lot of it's just, you know, it's just for looks, but I like the people that are fundamental, like they smash mouth football, if you want to call it that, but like simple beat me at what I'm great at. And if you in fact do or can compete, then we have deviations. Yep. Then we have, you know, but, but I'm going to hit you in the mouth until you prove to me, I need to make a change. That to me is that that word deviations is I liked the word wrinkle, right? Like sure. there wasn't anything that I ever put into our system that was completely opposite of everything that we did. I found ways to line up the kickoff contain guy at the five position and tell him your rule does not change, right? Like I don't have the athlete that can start in the middle of the field and run all the way to the outside of the field, not at Nevada, not at Lafayette college, but I wanted, if I'm going against a middle return team, I'm going to take those guys that are supposed to be blocking the outside lanes and I'm going to fold them to the middle of the field. Now, instead of teaching everybody what not something different to do, I just line up my take contain guys in the middle of the formation and say, hey, you know, your landmark at the 30 yard line is the numbers. You got to get there. Right. Hey, guys, all of you guys who were the three, fours and fives, you know, your landmark is the uprights or in two yards inside the hash or the hash. You know, you still got to get there. But now all of a sudden, the special teams coordinator is watching. Oh, my God, guys are running everywhere. They're going all over the field. It looks so complicated on film. But all I do is just move, take the guys who are doing something, put them in a different position, tell them to do the exact same thing. Yeah. I mean, I think offensive coordinators do that a lot, right? I mean, it's there's no purpose. It's more of a, I want to redirect your focus, right? Run the same play sure. out of 75 formations with 75 motions. It looks very complicated but nobody knows anything different on offense because they're all doing the same thing they always do. They're just getting there from a different place. And didn't it make you feel good as a special teams coordinator knowing that you're adding prep time to your opponent? Yeah, every time. It's a, it's a great feeling knowing he's got to put an 80th hour in, you know, because <laughs> like <laughs> that was, you know, as soon as, so the first thing I would always buzz through was, was their punt unit, right? Because I wanted to get a feel for how good the punter was, how talented they were, but also how many formations am I going to have to line up against this week on punt return? You know, like, yeah. do I need to be, we need to have one return so that we can get lined up and be sound and, and, you know, know how to adjust to every formation or are they going to line up the same way? And now I'm going to be able to put, you know, three returns in and a block 
so that, you know, we've got an, a plethora or a menu of plays that we're able to choose from that, that to me was, you know, when, when the game really started to evolve on punt with all the formations, things got, and, you know, be dealing with talking to other coordinators and figuring out who had the best rules on punt return to keep things simple and keep kids playing fast, because that was always the thing for me on special teams was if you were, if you had to think about what we did, we already lost. We're, we're going to get a pump blocked. We're going to, sure. we're going to get a return on us. Cause you're thinking if you're not just running and reacting, then it's too complicated for us. And we don't have the time to teach it anyway, as special teams coordinators. Okay. You get what a couple eight minute periods. Yeah. <laughs> to teach a third of the game. We have some exciting news. Fourth Down Focus is partnering with Play Action Pools this season to bring some interactive fun to the sport we love most. You'll be able to get in on the action with our Football Pick'em Challenge, which is open to everyone. Here's how it works. Sign up for our Believe Football Pick'em Contest at playactionpools.com. Get your picks in each week, and we'll select the 10 highest-profile NFL and college football games of the week. Whoever gets the most picks correct each week will win a pair of electric sunglasses and DC shoes. Again, go to playactionpools.com and sign up for the contest Believe. That's B-L-E-A-V, football pick'em. And if you plan on hosting your own football contest, go to playactionpools.com. They've got Survivor. Pick them as well as a cool sportsbook style concept called Build Your Bankroll. Playactionpools.com, your new home for all office sports pools. Now back to the show. All right, coach. So you've worked with some legendary coaches, we mentioned, but you've also mentored some of the best specialists in college football who have gone on to play on Sundays. Many of these guys, Dustin Hopkins, Johnny Townsend, Michael Turk. Uh, or a few come to my mind. Uh, can you share what you believe separates these young men from good specialists? Um, so, you know, just as in all, all sports, the athletic ability, right? Like, mm-hmm. and that to me was, we, I never recruited a kid that I didn't see kick in person, right? There would be things that I would see on the film, like how fast the ball got up. You know, we, we, I would evaluate the film, but if I didn't see them in person, there was no way because there are things like the sound of the ball, how quick it gets off the ground or gets off their foot, you know, that you just, you can't get it on film, right? You got to be there in person and be able to see it. But I would say the ones who make it to Sunday, not only have that ability, but they are the mentally toughest specialists of, you know, division one or, or really anywhere in the country, because that, that position is all mental, right? You have to believe you're going to make the kick before you actually go make the kick. And that was part of like, Dustin Hopkins played safety in high school, right? And that was a a big thing for me coming out. Eddie Pinero played soccer. He didn't even play high school football, didn't even kick in high school, right? So for me, part of my evaluation of, of specialists was, were they competitive? Did they play another sport? Did they know did they understand what it takes to put in that work day in and day out and overcome adversity? Because most specialists that are only specialists their entire time growing up that have only worked on kicking there, they've never really hit adversity. They've been the only one on the team that could kick. So they got the role, you know, and you know, the parents have been telling them that they're the greatest thing since sliced bread, since they put the ball on the tee and they don't really know what it's like to go through mentally tough situations. One of the greatest stories I have about that is 
Dustin Hopkins missed a game-winning field goal against Clemson the week prior to then having North Carolina come in and having the exact same kick and drilling it through the uprights and winning the game for us. You have to be an extremely mentally tough, resilient young man in order to lose a game against Clemson and the week prior be put in the exact same situation, 50-plus yard field goal to win the game and drill it and make it. I think it's really important to continue on with this for a second because many people who listen to this show have aspirations to do what you just said, kick, punt, and snap at a high level, uh, hopefully major FBS football. And you said a lot of things, I think, that we talk about, which are the obvious, like athleticism helps, strength, speed, all these things. Um, But what I like more about what you said, which we also talk about often on the show, is specialization and how I don't like it how I love soccer players, how I love baseball players, how I like golfers. I like guys who do multiple things, maybe throw in track or wrestling. I have a really good wrestler right now who's a good punter. I love what you said. And I think what I want you to talk about a little bit more is this. You said you had to see them in person. And I love that. And I tell my guys, if you're going to invest a lot of money and get on a flight and travel across the country, don't go to one kicking camp for a star or a ranking. Instead, instead, take that $500 registration fee to one camp and go to Nevada's $75 camp or Florida State's $45 camp or Texas's $100, whatever it is. I know they're a little different, but they're all much cheaper than someone's opinion of you, right? Um, I think the only opinion that matters is yours, the coach that you want to play for at that particular university. And everyone I'm talking to lately, coach, is saying what you're saying. Look, if they want me to to offer them a full scholarship and me be fully reliant on their success, because that's my job, I'm not going to just take the YouTube sample or the huddle link that only shows your 10 best moments in the fall. You must be crazy. And and I love the coach. I love – I love the specialist coaches, right? I love working with you. I had the opportunity to work with other coaches in the space that I thought did a good job, but I wasn't taking their word for it, right? Like, I, hey, look, I appreciate you and I love you, but I got to see it, right? I'm putting my name on the line with the head coach. I'm putting my job on the line with this program. I got to know for sure. I got to feel good, feel good about seeing it and doing it. So like, and I, I, I love what you said about like, just don't go to one camp and don't just go to the University of Texas's camp, right? Like be realistic with yourself about who's talking to you. If there are no power five schools talking to you, the odds of you going to a power five school and getting a scholarship are very, very low. So who's giving you attention? Go build a camp circuit around those schools And then take your shot at one or two power fives that you say, I'm going to go show up there and I'm going to go kick a 60 yard field goal. That's higher than the uprights and show them that I belong here. Excellent. Go do that. And I would say the same thing to kids who weren't specialists. I would say, look, if you can run a four, three sure. Go show up on Florida's campus because they've never talked to you. No problem. Everybody's as soon as you run that time, everybody in the camp's going to go, who the hell is that? (laughs) Same thing in a specialist camp. If you can hit a 55-yard off the ground that's going to clear the uprights above the uprights and not come down, go show that to anybody in the country. If you can't do that, 
don't build a camp structure around going to places that aren't talking to you. Amen. I tell my guys all the time. It's and and I'm honest, right? And sometimes honest is it's it's hard. It hurts. Whatever you want to say, whatever if you whether you're the giver of honesty or the receiver of the honesty, but if you can't meet the standard that is required to play at that level, you just gave me a good indicator of a four three, which is obviously it's it's elite, very ninety nine percentile. Right. But but if if, if you're a if you're a five zero linebacker, you know in high school, don't you don't go to Clemson camp, no. <laughs> right? Right. You, you you probably don't do that. Uh, because they probably won't even give you a rep or, or maybe they, they will and throw you a camp. No, they're going to give you a rep. Actually, what's going to happen is you're going to get moved to the group of players <laughs> that are not getting recruited by them. That's getting coached by the GA or the QC and you're going to get coached and you're going to get it. But if you're going thinking that you're getting evaluated by the staff, you're sorely mistaken, right? Like, and you're wasting an opportunity, you're wasting energy and time in a place that's not going to produce a return for you. So, you know, and that's why I I'm passionate about what it is I do is I meet kids where they are and then I establish goals. We have some short and long-term goals we set. And then based on their starting position and their age, if they're 17 and they're hitting the ball to the 20 yard line, we're looking at lower level schools. We're looking to try to get you a 60 yard kickoff. Right. And, and, and hopefully a three, seven plus that's the goal, but we got a long way to go. But yep. my point is, my point is, is like, look at the standard and be realistic. And if you're not happy about your current situation, the only way you're going to really meet the standards you want to achieve is through hard work. It's through failure. Don't be scared to fail. Don't be scared to train and go seek instruction from not just me. There's YouTube, there's a billion kicking coaches, right? Yeah. And then, and whatever resonates with you or makes mo most sense, attack it. And I, instead of attacking camps, you, if you go to a camp, you're not going to get better. And I think that's my long-winded point yes. is, is the frequency. Percent. Yeah. The frequency yeah. in which you attend something. And I, I want to be fair and I want to give credit where credit is due. Like Brandon Cornblue is a coach that I worked with. The reason I enjoyed doing camps with him is because the kids got coached at those camps. Yeah. The kids were, were being guided in, in those camps as opposed to some other camps. And I'm not going to name names, but they just line up and kick the ball, line up yeah. and kick the ball, line up and kick the ball. There was no instruction happening. Nobody was getting better. Nobody was learning anything. They were just showing up and doing whatever it is that they thought they were supposed to do. And that was the reason that I, as a coordinator, I went with Brandon the majority of the times for my camps because I knew that him and I would work the camp together and we'd coach the kids, you mm. know, and, and that to me was different than a lot of the other people in the space. Agreed. I mean, there, there's two types in our industry, uh, those who teach and those who expose. Right. And, and right. I think, I think it's great. Exposure is great. I love the big ones for one purpose. I send my best kids there to win it. It's a good indicator. There's yeah. going to be 10, there's going to be 10 dogs there. Yep. There's going to be 10 other dudes that Noodleberg is recruiting. Yep. And if you outperform those dudes, Noodleberg's going to recruit you. Yep. But Noodleberg, you're not going to look at the three and a half star who ranked 170th in, in Dallas or Atlanta. Those kids get three and a half stars. That means about 0.5 in the other system, right? right. Right. maybe a one star and those guys don't get recruited. Yep. But I want to shift the focus now to what you're doing now. Uh, I want to congratulate you first on your recent business. It's called on the ball ventures. You mentioned it earlier. 
I want you to explain to the audience what on the ball is and how you're delivering the disciplines of winning to business. Yeah. So, so on the ball ventures is my parent company on the ball coaching specifically is something where we partner with organizations to help them develop process and people, right? So I want to relate business and, and, and football for a second. The lifeline of a college program is recruiting, right? Recruiting talent. You don't recruit talent. You don't win games, period. End of story. In business, if you don't drive revenue, if you don't drive sales, you don't win. You're out of business. And so seeing that and understanding that and understanding that the, the, the fundamentals of both of those things being successful are people in process and relationship. I help organizations develop a process and sales processes that are efficient, that are effective, that are using modern tools like LinkedIn, that are using modern tools like video in order to drive relationships and drive revenue. Now, while developing those processes, depending on where this company is in its stage of growth, sometimes I'm helping the leaders within the organization develop more as coaches to help them develop their people. And sometimes I'm developing the organization itself. I'm actually hand selecting the people that come in, training them on how to be a coach, helping hire new people underneath them and developing and scaling the organization. So that's really the place that I like to live is we look for individuals and organizations that know they need help in getting better. And we help find ways to do that. It sounds to me like it, it was a perfect lead in. And what I mean by that was coaching college football was a perfect lead into this venture. It prepared me to do it. And, and a lot of the conversations I have with leaders and organizations who either don't have any kind of, you know, athletic or military background, they have a very small understanding of process and routine. And we know in the sports world, everything's about the routine, right? Like you go through the same routine on a Friday when it comes to walkthrough and the situations you, the same exact process every Friday before a game to create that routine, helping people identify that in their lives, helping people understand how to manage their time to be better leaders, defining what coaching behaviors are, right? Like in the coaching world, you ever do the thing for the people. It's impossible to micromanage. Impossible. I can't get on the field. I don't, they don't give me a uniform. They don't give me pads. Had they, I would have, you know, but you had to be unbelievable at communicating, setting expectations and following up in order to create the understanding so that people could go execute it on Saturday in the business world. Far too, far too often you find managers or leaders. I don't like calling them managers. You find leaders and coaches that are actually doing the things for people. They just, well, I'll just do it for them. And they think they're helping them by doing it for them, but they're actually enabling them. They're mm -hmm. actually, you know, hindering that person's development and growth and hurting themselves because now they can't focus on the things they need to be focused on because they're doing the things for people that they've hired, you know, them to do. So helping people understand how to become coaches, how to develop systems, how to develop processes all comes out of coaching right? 
I just now learn what somebody's business is, help them understand our philosophy and our processes of, of developing business and help implement that into their organization. And hopefully at the same time, create a lot of success and develop some great people. When I coach, uh, I, as the older I'm getting with this, the more I'm inclined to extract extraneous behavior, right? Like in, anything that's not needed, get rid of it. Yep. Ch chuck it out. And it sounds to me like you're you're really approaching the leaders first and then learning the process. And then it's a trickle down effect, but you have to have effective leaders first. And what it sounds to me like you're doing is kind of the same thing I'm doing just in a different way is you're, you're taking away all the inefficiencies or the extra crap on this person's plate and saying, here's how to be, here's how to delegate. Sounds like you're teaching that you're teaching delegation, you're teaching time management, you're, you're teaching prioritization. It sounds like, and these are all things that I think effective coaches do um, as well as consultants, whoever, this is life skills. It's exactly, it's exactly spot on how we help leaders development develop in a time management sense. Right. And then like in sports or in football in general, it's really easy to evaluate because you film, yeah. right? you, you always go back and watch the tape. Well, there's not a lot of people filming everything that happens <laughs> in an organization in business, right? So you as a leader have to be really skilled at asking questions that gives you visibility to what people are doing in order to get the feedback you need in order to be able to coach them. So like, there's this give and take of like, well, there's not film anymore for me. But if I know what you should be focused on and what you should be doing, I'm not just going to ask you how it's going. I'm going to ask questions that are going to force you to explain to me what you're doing, how you're doing it, right? And then I'm going to ask you deeper questions to figure out where your gaps are so that I can help identify the areas that I need to focus on in order to continue to develop you. I like what you said earlier, too, about a lot of these people that you are now in the corporate world, of course. And a lot of these people did not have a military and or a, a background in sport. And what you mean by that is they were never really a part of a team. Right. Right. And that's dangerous. So I guess my last question, I know it's off script, but I, I want to ask you like, what is, how important is it that these kids listening right now, these young men, these high school kids, tell them how important it is um, off the field, like what's going on right now, this team dynamic and and, and, and embrace every opportunity with that team, whether it's an outreach or it's practice or it's game or it's traveling, you know, to out of state game, those were always fun, but how important is being a part of a team in life? If you can learn how to understand what your role is and excel in your role, no matter what it is, you will be successful no matter what you want to do in life. And the, if you can develop that skill and continue to perfect that skill at an early age, you're going to be far ahead of the curve. There are far too many people graduating college right now that feel entitled, that feel like, oh, well, I'm supposed to be given these things or, you know, I know I can do these things already. Look, that's not the way the world works. And the greatest organizations in the world, the Alabamas of the business world, are looking for people that are talented and hungry. And being hungry means you will take any opportunity given to you and do everything you can to be successful with that opportunity. So people are like, oh, I'm hungry for success and I want to be a star. So I'm only willing to do things that stars do. 
bullshit. The only way you get to be that star is by taking any opportunity that's giving, given to you, excelling at that opportunity, and then finding ways to add more responsibility to your plate. It's the way I became a special teams coordinator. I was just going to say. I started as yeah. an equipment manager. Yep. I excelled as an equipment manager and found more things I could do for Jimbo. But I didn't start finding more things to do until I knew how he wanted the ball spotted, how he wanted drills set up. He didn't have to say a word. I learned how to anticipate what people wanted from me so that I could do it before I was asked for it so that I could get more responsibility. Start anticipating what people want from you and delivering that first and then adding more responsibility. It doesn't matter what you choose to do. You'll be successful. I agree. It's being unique. You stood out. There was probably a lot of people that wanted a promotion at Florida state, but instead of just wanting you probably said, how can I differentiate myself from everybody else in this equipment room? Huh. How can I earn it? Operations. I can learn the operations of a, the whatever, spotting the ball in a team setting. Only you probably went above and beyond and learned that or even thought about it, right? And it, 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 I, I just wish more people would do instead of think or want. Those are all awesome. And I'll never forget like the first couple times that I started going up to the coach's offices and staying there. All the other managers looked at me like, what are you doing, bro? You're not supposed to be up there. You can't be up there. They don't want you up there. And I was like, I'm there. And they're not telling me to leave. And they're asking me to fill their coffees and make copies and, and grab them a pencil. And I'm doing it. So if you want to do it, the opportunity is there for you. Just show up with me. But if you don't, then, you know, sit down here and continue to change the screws on the face masks and, and don't. Don't bitch at me because of what I'm doing. I like I like that too. And again, don't listen to your friends or your peers because they're just trying to pull you down usually, or they're or they're scared of that change. You're going out on a limb, right? Yep. Uh, like, yep. why are you being different? Well, I'm trying to be different to stand out. And I, and you're getting and you're asking yep. me right now because I'm posing a threat to you because I am standing out. I am being different. And you're noticing. Oh. So if you're noticing, so yeah, but it's a, it's a, it's unfortunate because when you're young, you know, as an adolescent, you know, like some of your friends that, that weren't Art. as uh, ambitious as you um, would try to pull you down, not you, but hypothetical me and you, I had friends, I had friends that yeah. did not want to see me be too successful. And that's a fact. And, and it's not because they're bad people, no. right? It's just because it's different and it, it, it challenges them and they don't know how to deal with that challenge. They don't know how to deal with those emotions and their own fears. And so the way they do that is by poking fun or trying to tear you down a little bit to make themselves feel more secure on why they're not doing it, right? And I think as soon as you recognize that, that it's not about you, it's about the way other people handle their own feelings and you can just stay focused on the things you want to do and aligning your activities and behaviors with that goal, you should be successful. Man, I hope everyone listens to this episode. This was awesome, Mark. I, I can't thank you enough for joining. And I always ask my guests if you could share a few ways that people could maybe watch something about you or check out your website. I know you have a billion ways. Yeah. Um, so if, if you want to get to me, if you want to have a conversation with me, you can find me on Instagram at coach noodle N U D E L. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Mark Noodleberg, M A R C N U D E L B E R G. Um, my, my email is Mark M A R C at on the ball Those are your three best ways to get me. 
Um, I'm on social all day, every day, especially on LinkedIn. So if you guys want to connect, if you have questions, if there's anything I can do to help you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Coach, it means a lot to me and everyone here at Fourth Down Focus that you were able to share information that can and will benefit, shoot, everywhere, on, off the field, uh, corporate, whatever, sport, you name it. Like these are these are life skills that we're talking about today. And I'm just grateful for your your, your, your perspective on these things and your story too. I appreciate you so much, Dan. It's uh, always a pleasure to talk to you. I've always enjoyed every conversation we've ever had. So kudos to you for creating this content, for continuing to help kids. And thank you for allowing me to be a part of it. You're the man. So please give us a, please give us a five-star rating, a review, subscribe to the show, share it with a friend. And if you have questions related to the podcast, be sure to uh, send me a, I don't know, an email. Um, there's several ways you can get a hold of me. My website is fourthdownu.com. I have endless resources for both specialists and coaches. Instagram and Twitter, I'm at fourthdownu. And on Facebook and LinkedIn, you can find me by simply searching Dan Space Lundy, L-U-N-D-Y. Thanks again for joining us at Fourth Down Focus, presented by Bets Online. We'll see you next week with an exciting new guest, and I hope 2021 is still treating each and every one of you well. And remember, in all things, give thanks. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.